Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Have you ever been in danger and didn't really realize it? You may know that I grew up in Colorado. I grew up in a little town called Evergreen, just west of Denver, up into the mountains, a couple thousand feet up. And uh, this week I did a little internet creeping and I actually found a picture of my house growing up. And so I've got a picture for you. And it's, it's actually the one on the right. It's just the garage. And that's what I'll show you for the moment. And there used to be a basketball hoop above the, the doors there. And I used to run and you know, jump off the house and try to dunk a basketball. You know, that, it's just great memories of that driveway. But what I really wanted to show you was the backyard. Because what you can see off in the distance is that house about 200 feet out our back door that is the white house there. Well, growing up, the trees in the center, those big tall ones, they were little tiny trees. So they've grown so much since then. And so we could easily see all the way to that house in the back. And we could see actually about 150 feet behind our house was this little rock formation, these boulders and rocks that were sitting there. And I remember when, show the next picture, when she moved in to the rocks. Now, this, uh, this is a mountain lion. You probably figured that part out. And... She had come down from the higher altitudes, and not only did she take up residence in the rocks, she decided that's where she was going to have her cubs that season. Now, this isn't the exact picture, because I don't have that, but I just found myself thinking, I have no idea. We don't know when she moved in exactly, but I used to be in the backyard all the time. I would hit golf balls in that big grassy area because the house next door wasn't even built yet. And so there's lots of other bad stories about that, but that's another day. And, And we'd actually ride bikes right through that rock formation. There was a trail and we would jump off of the rocks and would keep riding through. And so I have no idea if I had passed by when she had moved in or not. I just remember when she moved in and it was terrifying. Now... This, this picture, this is what sin is like. It is so much more dangerous than we realize. It's so much worse than we often see or imagine. Right? Like, if you ask just the average person, maybe you just think about yourself. If I asked you what sin is, the average person would typically start with, mm, well, it's this list of bad things that you're not supposed to do. You know, so I, we shouldn't murder people, and we shouldn't commit adultery, and we shouldn't steal stuff, and maybe eventually at some point lying would hit that list, or, you know, we would have this whole list, or maybe it's the list of good things that you're supposed to do, but you didn't do. You know, you're supposed to be generous with people, you're supposed to help those in need, whatever it is. But what if sin is a lot less like those lists that we make, and a lot more like that mountain lion? What if it's way worse than we thought? that maybe it's way worse 
than we can even really truly see. So we're going to be talking about that this, in this sermon series. But we don't want to just leave it there. Right? We, we don't want to just leave it with how bad it is because there's also a good side. Because if sin is way worse and things are way worse than we acknowledge, and if the gospel means good news, then that good news must be at least as proportionately great as how bad the bad news is. Or else it's not really that good of news, is it? It's got to be bigger than the bad news or else, well, it's still in the end bad news. And so that's what we're going to be exploring that sin is way worse than we thought, but the gospel is better than we even imagined, better than we could even fully comprehend. And so we're going to start today this new series, and we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 4 as we begin this, this journey through Lent together. So if you want, you can follow along on the screen, but let's hear God's word for us tonight. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Let's pray as we move into this together. Lord God, in these moments, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, give us the ability to see perhaps what we haven't been able to see before. Or Lord, maybe it's the, the courage to be able to acknowledge what we haven't acknowledged before. And Lord, in the midst of it, may we also see and hear and experience how good and glorious your gospel is for each and every one of us. Lord God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a fairly well-known story. 
It's a story that begins with worship and relationship with God. Two brothers, Cain and Abel, bring offerings to God as an act of worship. Cain brings some of the fruit of his soil. Abel brings an animal from the flock. And these, these particular offerings are, a, this word that's used for these offerings is a particular kind of offering. It's a dedication offering. See, we think of offerings, we often think of like, I, I gotta, you can have a sacrifice for sin. Or we think of offering that you give, you know, as we give in the midst of our service as, as a way of saving, saying thank you, God. This is a dedication offering. And so what it really was about was, was about the dedication of our lives to God. It wasn't about sin because the law hadn't even come yet that said there had to be sacrifices to take away sin. And so it was really an expression of giving yourself in, like giving yourself to God. And in the proportion of the gift, perhaps says something about the value or the amount of self that's being offered to God. And so if you saw what it said about Abel, it said Abel brings the very best. He brought the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock. Right? The fat portions were the most significant and the firstborn were the, were the firstborn, right? Those were the ones that came. They were the guarantee because they're here. It doesn't mean we're necessarily going to get any more. And so these were the best that he could offer. And Cain offered some of the fruit of the soil. Now, what's the difference? (laughs) Well, clearly, Abel brings a valuable sacrifice. He makes a greater offering to God, not because it was an animal and Cain brought grain. That's not fair, because Cain worked in the fields and Abel worked the flocks. They brought what was natural for them to bring. So God doesn't care. Bring what you have, bring who you are, but bring the best. Bring all of yourself, and apparently Cain didn't bring it. It's kind of like when our four-year-old Everett is so happy to share his dinner with us. He's happy to let you have the broccoli, but if you touch his french fries, he'll bite your finger off. (laughs) Right? They're both an offering, but clearly one has more value than the other, right? And so Abel has brought a sacrifice of greater value than Cain, and really what it's showing is their heart. It's not about the thing. It's about what's going on inside of them. You know, Cain brings some of the fruit of the soil. It's really kind of that, it's a half-hearted offering. It's like, I'll give you some, but not the best. It's like Cain wants to acknowledge God, but not go all in with God. Maybe he is happy to have the benefits of being in a relationship with God, but doesn't want the demands of the commitment to be in a relationship with God. Maybe he hopes to be able to kind of just negotiate with God. Okay, God, I'll give you the sacrifices. Now you do your part. He wants that transactional kind of relationship. He wants the blessing without the surrender. I think if we examine our lives, we may find we're not entirely unlike that there may be times where we're making also our own half-hearted offering. Like, God, all right, God, I'm all in. Yep, absolutely. This time, I'm all in. Well, except for that. No, I'm, to- I'm all in. Well, e- except for, you know, you know I have that temper. 
So I'm all in except for that, or I'm all in except for my time, or I'm all in except for the money, or except for, except for my diet and exercise. I'm all in except for my sexuality, or my ambitions, or my career. God, I'm all in, I mean, I'm all in, right? Kind of. See, and this is what God's getting at with Cain. And God looks with favor on Abel's offering because when we offer ourselves, because that's all we've got, God receives us favorably. When we offer only part of it, when we play games, when we hold back, he didn't look with favor on Cain. And what was Cain's response? He was angry, wasn't he? He was very angry. We don't know exactly how it played out, how he was aware that God was blessing and looking with favor on his brother, but man, he didn't like it when it happened. It just kind of reveals that he was really in it for what he could get out of it, not in what, for what he could give. And so God comes and seeks out Cain and, and has a conversation, comes to talk. Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? It's like God, it's a rhetorical question, right? He, Cain knows the answer. You do what's right from your heart, you're accepted. If you don't do what's right, then what? Well, we expect the answer to be you're not accepted. But that's not what God said. If you do what's right, then you'll be accepted. But if you do not do what's right, that's when he says sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. What it kind of lets us in on is this amazing gift that God gives that even though Cain has made a half-hearted offering, God's still giving lots of space for him to turn back and get it right. He's saying, do what's right. You'll be accepted. But there's a warning. Because you've already headed down this road, Cain. You've already headed down this road. And if you continue down this road, here's the reality. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It's crouching. This is, this is a word that, that we use for, like, cats, isn't it? We, just in November, we brought a cat into our home, um, much to my enjoyment. <laughs> but it is entertaining to play, play with the cat. Its name is, is Boogs, short for Booger or Boogie, because it's aptly named. I'll just tell you, it's got a little attitude. But when you play with it, when you play with so many cats, right, if you have a, like a feather, we've got a feather on like a fishing pole thing, and you put the feather down on the floor, what does the cat do? What does the cat do? It gets down real low. It's like it's going to sneak up on the feather right? And then bang! Jumps on the feather, right? It pounces. Well, this is the image that is being used here. It's like, but it's not like this tiny little house cat. It's like the mountain lion. Crouching at your door. Waiting to pounce on you. Waiting to have you. See, sin is not just about a list of things that we don't do, that we're supposed to do, and that we do do, that we're not supposed to do. 
what we're being shown here is that sin is a spiritual force. It is a spiritual reality, and not just a spiritual force, it's a predator. And like all predators, it's seeking its prey, which is you and is me. And we're told that it's hiding, sin is hiding. And when is it hiding? When in the story, it was in the moment of temptation, it was in the moment when Cain had the opportunity to turn back, to get it right, to do what he's supposed to do, to change his heart, it's at that moment that sin is right there hiding, waiting. You know, when they crouch low, right, they're getting smaller, right? They're getting down, making it harder for them to see, for you to see. The predator is getting to this place where it's hiding until the opportune moment. And the reality is, if you, if you look at what predators do in the wild, who do they target? See, predators typically target the sick and the weak and the old and the weary. They don't want to work that hard. I don't care. None of us wants to work that hard. So if they don't have to spend extra energy, they won't. The reality is, as sin is crouching at your door, it's waiting, hiding, making itself small so you can't see it, you're not aware of it. Maybe you kind of are, but it's like, mm, I thought I saw something. No, you didn't. But waiting till the moment of weakness. Waiting until that moment where perhaps in your jealousy like Cain, you're vulnerable. The moment of weakness of your loneliness, where you just can't seem to take it anymore. The moment when you're hungry, when you're tired, when you're worn down, when you're wounded. It's that moment that this crouching lion pounces. Do you ever, you ever find yourself going, man, why did I do that? You say something that's out of your character. You do something that just doesn't, doesn't align with who you are, doesn't align with your values, and, and, and doesn't even make sense because you don't, you don't treat anybody that way. Pounce. It's that moment where it's no longer just a thing you did or didn't do or, did or didn't say. It's a spiritual force happening to you, within you. And Paul says, man, it is sin alive within me. He's recognizing a spiritual force. And it's a mistake for us to reduce sin to this thing that we think we can manage and control like a scorecard or a report card or a checklist. Because if we think we can manage it like that, it's just going to wait and will pounce on us. And perhaps the moment that it will pounce on us most is the moment that we feel so proud about what we have accomplished. And we're vulnerable. And we underestimate the reality of the power of sin. As it desires to have us. You know, it desires at any moment and, and the moment for Cain was the moment that God apparently walked away. The moment that the conversation ends, we're told that he says to his brother, hey, let's go out to the field, and we're not given much anything else. Apparently, it was done. Sin had him. 
And what was at one moment simply a temptation, a thought, a frustration, an anger, a jealousy was now being played out because every fit of rage, every act of anger fully wants to become realized as murder, which is exactly what Jesus was getting at. It's why in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he blows open the power of sin, that it's not just the thing that you do, it's not just the thing that you say, it's your heart that gets taken. That's when sin has you. He says, everybody knows that you're not supposed to commit adultery, but then he, he blows it open. He says, here's the thing. Adultery has you when you begin looking lustfully at someone. And he continues to talk about murder in the same way that as soon as we are angry with people and, and just consider their life worthless, we're already on the road and sin wants to have us and it wants to come to full blossom. That it's not just an action, a thought. It's taking more and more of who we are. And the reality is, it has us, because it also, sin leads to more sin, doesn't it? I mean, look at how Cain dealt with the situation. God comes after the murder has been committed and, you know, asks him again, hey, where's your brother? And you can just, you can almost hear the snarkiness in, in, Abel, in Cain's voice. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I his babysitter? You can just see, you can see and hear in it how it has even put more distance between him and God. And the bitterness and the anger he has toward God has only grown in the same way, when we allow ourselves, when we get taken, right? Lies lead to more lies, don't they? It's inevitable. Because you have to fix one lie with another lie. Or at least you have to make sure to be consistent with that lie, which is hard enough because you have to keep track of it. And, and if we continue, right, our, our lust leads to lies. Our anger leads to bitterness. Sin continues to lead to more and more sin. It continues to grab more and more and more of us. It, it's kind of like the blob. It's just taking and taking and taking. And we think we can compartmentalize it. And we think, okay, it's just this one area. God, I'm all in except for this one little thing. And I know this is the little box that has a real problem. But I've got it under control. I can handle it. I'll contain it. And then we get weak again. It comes out and it brings destruction in our own lives, in our relationships, in our relationship with God. It destroys, it destroys, it destroys as it did with Cain and Abel. And of course, God knows exactly what's happened. I mean, the, the blood of Abel, he says, is crying out from the ground. I mean, what an amazing statement. The blood of this victim. I mean, what, what a hope that God does not, it's not silent suffering that God hears, he's aware, he knows of every precious, valuable life that has been taken. He knows. And that blood is crying out for justice. And so God brings justice and grace, doesn't he? He curses the ground. He acknowledges that he's going to be driven from the land. He's going to wander the earth. 
And Cain is so overwhelmed with the reality of his justice. But did you notice he didn't actually repent or apologize for murdering his brother? Man, have you ever been like, oh, I'm so sorry I got in trouble. I'm so sorry I got caught. But his heart is still hard. His heart is still only halfway in with God. God, I'm going to be driven out of your presence. But he's still not all in, willing to acknowledge the reality of the murder he's committed. The punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're dragging me from you. And whoever finds me will kill me. <laughs> It'd be justified, wouldn't it? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, but God is so gracious, even to an unrepentant, hard-hearted Cain. No, no, I will protect you. Anybody who tries to come after you, I will bring vengeance on them seven times. And just to make sure everybody knows, he put some sort of mark on Cain. We don't know, but we know that everybody would have known, don't touch him. Don't mess with him. And so God continues to protect Cain, even in his unrepentant, hard-hearted, half-hearted sinfulness. And I just imagine it's like, come on back. He's continuing to wait. He's continuing to invite him into the invitation that he gave even before the murder was committed. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain, you can still rule over it. It doesn't have to rule over you. It doesn't have to go this way. You can turn back. But it's that, that blood that cries out that gives a hope, even in the midst of this, even in the midst of this story. Abel's blood cried out for justice, for the right to be wronged, that, that Cain would get what he deserved. But when the gospel comes into this story, there's another blood that cries out. There's another true Abel in our story. That the blood of Jesus is ultimately what cries out as well. See, it cries out just like Abel, in his, the blood cried out of his pain, out of his betrayal, out of the value of his human life. And the blood of Jesus cries out of his own pain, his own betrayal, the infinite value and worth of the life of the Son of God. <laughs> and it cries out for justice, just like Abel's did. But not like Abel's blood that we would get, that Cain got what he would deserve, but that we would get what we do not deserve. See, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 said this, You've come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood speaks a word just like Abel's blood. His word is a, a word of justice, but it's a greater justice, right? If, if it was purely about the justice that we deserve, then, then we would all go the way of Cain at best and Abel more likely. But when Jesus' blood cries out for justice, it cries out to the Father and says, the punishment has already been, has been taken. The death has already been taken on. The fate of Abel was the fate of Jesus on our behalf. And that it's his blood that cries out, 
that we can be free. That we can master, we can rule sin before it takes us. But we have to be aware of it. We have to, we have to acknowledge that it's way worse than we typically think about. When I was in college, I was in a fraternity, and um, at one point in the fraternity, we played a game called Assassins. And it was a game involving nerf, nerf guns. And everyone who was involved in the game was given a, a target of somebody else in the fraternity, and it was organized by someone who was aware that it was basically you know, a, a giant circle. So what happened is, if you were able to, to take someone out, you know, you got them with your Nerf dart, then you took their target, and you kept going, and everybody who was taken out gave their target to somebody else until there was only one person left. Everyone else had been taken out. Now, there were very few rules. And so, guys would follow each other across campus, they'd follow each other in and out of class, and they'd follow them to their cars, they'd go to work and stake, the, stake out their workplaces, they'd wait outside the gym, I mean, they'd be behind bushes, they'd be everywhere, on top of roofs, like, you can, and so you can imagine the paranoia that started to come out of these guys, right? Because every moment could be the moment where somebody's gonna sneak up on you. And so guys are like, taking triple takes around corners and as they walk out the door, you see guys like walking down the path like this because there's bushes on either side. I mean, taking so seriously that any moment, somebody's gonna pop out, boom, your game's done. Well, what if we started to realize that that's our life every day? And that rather than somebody waiting to get us with a Nerf gun, that there is sin crouching around every corner. Waiting till our half-heartedness gives into weakness, our vulnerability and insecurity makes way so that we can justify, we can glorify, we can pretend that we have things under control. What if we lived with the same kind of vigilance but around our hearts, not around our bodies? The same kind of vigilance that we can't fight back with a Nerf gun, can we? But we can fight back with the blood of Jesus. That no longer do you have to be defined by your weakness, by your strength. No longer do you have to be defined by the quality of your offering that has to be perfect for God to accept you. No longer do you have to have under your own strength the ability to conquer the force of sin in your life. But in your openness to your own vulnerability to hold on to the one whose blood cries out for you. That will give you strength that will give you encouragement in your despair, that when you feel jealous will remind you that you have the riches of the king of the universe. When you feel lonely will remind you that he will never leave you or forsake you. When you feel insecure, he will offer you the security that you need. When you are tempted, he will provide you the way of escape so that you do not have to be conquered and pounced on by the power of sin, but instead you can live in the power of Jesus, no longer mastered by sin, but mastered by the master, the savior, Jesus Christ. So let's go into this Lenten season with a new vigilance to not just look around every corners, but maybe to look into our hearts, to see where we're vulnerable, 
to look into our lives, to see where we're half-hearted. And then to be aware that at every moment, there is a predator seeking to have you. But at every moment, there is a savior that is seeking to save you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we step into this journey, may you protect us from becoming overwhelmed. May you protect us from despair. May you protect us from those places of weakness and vulnerability. Help us to see them, to be aware of them so that we can identify them and we can come to you to let your blood cover over us in our failure. To let you, in your, your, your death and your resurrection power, be the one to strengthen us. Lord, may we fight with the, the battle with worship, with prayer, with holding on by faith to what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, in this moment of quiet, May you hear us as we just come before you to begin to acknowledge, to begin to confess where it is that sin has taken us, where it is that we have allowed our vulnerability to open the door to this prayer. Hear us, Lord, as we confess to you. Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks a better word for, on our behalf, that speaks a word of, of grace. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. May you help us to be vigilant and to live in your strength, not our own. In Jesus' name.